Somebody just needs to say amen after that, right? Back to life. I, I, one of the things I'm so grateful for, by the way, my name is Brent. Hi, if we haven't had a chance to meet. I'm fairly new around these parts, as they say. Uh, my family and I have been worshiping here for a little bit over a year. Love being a part of Central Church. I was, I was taught growing up, you find out what God's doing and you get involved. And so we moved uh, from Orlando, Florida. I think I shared this before. And we were just trying to answer that question as we moved over to this this part of the world, uh, and that is, what, uh, where, what is God doing, and what is he up to? And so that led us to Central Church. So if you're here and you're new, uh, I'm new too, and I'm, I, but I'm telling you, we're here because the Lord is on the move, and he's doing something special, and it's just uh, our responsibility to go, I want to be, be a part of that. And so that's why we're here. So if you're here uh, and you're new, you're in, you're in the right spot. Our pastor has made the decision uh, uh, to do something that, believe it or not, is oftentimes not done in the weeks following Easter. And I'm so grateful that Pastor Ethan chose to do this. And that is that we're not going to have Easter be a standalone event where we have you know high attendance and... And we do a bunch of celebrations, and everybody dresses in pastel colors, and we all get the pictures afterwards. And, of course, all the, all the, all the, uh, all the OG moms in this room know that you take the picture before church, not after church, right? It took me a few years. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize what was going on. My, my wife was always going, well, I take the picture before church. It's because it, after church, it looks like, like Easter just kind of caved in on itself with our kids and all the candy and all the stuff. So, but we've made the decision, or Pastor Ethan actually has made the decision, that we're not going to let it just be that, and then we move on. Instead of it being an event that happens and then we switch to another theme, we're going to allow that event to be the platform or the foundation by which we move into this Back to Life series. Because the resurrection is not an event. The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the event, amen? And so it is worth going, okay, now let us unpack that even further. What, is, what are the implications? How does the resurrection echo and reverberate throughout the entirety of the Christian life? And so I was uh, assigned a text this morning. I love it when I get an assignment. All right, so I was assigned a text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 through 10, a very familiar text, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And this is a, a, a text, if we were to give our, our message a sermon in this Back to Life series, it would be a gift that brings us back to life. A gift that brings us back to life. And so Paul is going to do everything he can in a short amount of space in this letter to just drive home the singular idea of our faith. In fact, he's gonna, he's gonna, we're going to read a phrase that he's repeating that he just said a few verses earlier. So there is a, a, a kind of a bullseye, if you will, Paul, that Paul is aiming at with this letter. There's, there's something just at the core of our faith that he wants us to get. So let us, let us read Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, beginning in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, this is verse 8. <laughs> He's already made this statement in verse 5. And so I think Paul's trying to get a point uh, home, home to us here. He goes, by grace you have been fa saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Hence the, 
the gift that changes everything, the gift that brings us back to life. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By grace, you have been saved through faith. If there is one statement in the entire Bible that summarizes what it means to be a Christian, it's this phrase, for by grace, through faith. And so I want us to take a few moments and unpack this gift, the gift that brings us back to life, to unpack this gift, if we can, in three phrases that the Apostle Paul will use. But this is one of those texts, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, this is one of those passages in which Paul is trying to go, okay, let me, let me make sure that the focus of your life is on the bullseye that I'm aiming at. There is something that should capture your imagination, should capture your affections, should capture your, and be the focus of all your energy and your activity and your decision-making and all of the rest for by grace through faith. I, uh, uh, you know, I travel for a living quite a bit, ladies and gentlemen, and, and so I, uh, I, I get to hear about what happens here on Sunday morning more than I get to be here on Sunday morning, and, and, and I'm so grateful for this church and my family, and always just, I get to hear about how awesome Pastor Ethan's messages are every time I get home, and I'm going, well, they're good, but you know, your dad preaches too, but anyways, I, we're going to let that be, and so, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I remember I had a, a, an, a, an event that I was doing a few years ago, and I, I like to take a kid with me if I can. I have six of them. I'll just let that sit right there for a minute. And uh, um, some of them are in here. I'll just, you know, that's more of a, I've, if you've heard me say this joke before, that, that I have six kids. That's more of a prayer request than it is information, and uh, uh, it's actually not a joke, all right? And so, but, but I had this little thing I was doing, a graduation service. Those are awesome. Because nobody, as a guest speaker, nobody cares that you're there, right? It's an easy event to take a kid to because you show up 20 minutes ahead of time. You're supposed to, like, just only talk for a few minutes, inspire a room, and then, and then that, you don't even have to say afterwards, right? You just kind of take the robe they give you off and you're out the door. And, 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 and by the way, out of the 3,000 people in the room, they don't care that all the other people are in the room. They're just waiting for that one name to be called in which their child or grandchild will walk across the stage. And in that moment, you're trying to suppress your inner redneck and not shout out. And, and that's what graduation's all about. And so I, I, I had a graduation service that I was, I was booked to do. And, 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 and so I, I took one of my kids with me, and I took Mercy. And we, it was in Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm trying to figure out what I could do for a kid in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, you know, I like barbecue, but I don't think that's going to take up a whole day. And so uh, we found this zoo. We decided to go to the zoo. Memphis has a renowned zoo, which was a surprise to me. I didn't know that ahead of time. And the reason they have a, a renowned zoo is because... They're one of only four zoos in North America that house the giant panda. And so, and that's because FedEx is based out of Memphis, and so they did a deal with China. And anyways, because you, you can't get a giant panda unless you go through China, obviously. And so, and so they got these giant pandas. So 
I, I said, oh, that's what we're going to go to the zoo. Of course, because this is the crown jewel of their zoo, you have to go through everything else before you get to the giant panda exhibit, right? So you have to walk through and see all the boring animals before you can see the really cool animals. And I mean, I'm not trying to throw shade on all those other animals, but nobody pays to go to a zoo to see a pig. I mean, you know, so, so we're, we're waking our way through, and we finally get to the exhibit in the back where the giant pandas are. And, and you got to walk through this whole thing where you learn about the pandas and how awesome China is, and then you get to see, right, the pandas. And so you go through all this, and you finally get to it, and we got all the way back there after all this work, and there's just a couple of people back there. So we waited behind them, waited our turn. They left, and nobody's at the, in the giant panda exhibit. It's just, just little Mercy and I, my little nine-year-old at this time, and we're watching this amazing creature. There's two of them. There's one that was asleep over there. He never poked his head out. But we're watching one that's awake, and it's just, we're taking pictures, we're reading articles, we're, we're just taking videos, we're just learning and watching and observing. Actually, most of all, we're just kind of stunned. We're just kind of focused on the, mag- and the majesty of this incredible creature. And then, I heard it before I saw it. And I'm not, th- listen, I work with students for a living. I'm not throwing shade on this group of people. But I heard a group of teenage young ladies off in the distance. You could hear that flock before you saw it. And, uh, um, and, and, and you, it, by the time we saw it, they were coming through the exhibit and all of them were kind of bent over with their phones out filming. And, and for good reason too, because they were following a mama duck with a bunch of little, she had like seven or eight little baby ducks. And they, all you heard was, it's so cute. I just want to squeeze it, it's so cute. I can't believe it, it's so cute. And they come in one side of the exhibit and then they go outside of the exhibit. They walked all the way through and all the way out and never saw the giant panda. And I just watched all this unfold. I went back to my hotel room that night and I Googled, how many ducks are there in the United States of America? According to Fish and Wildlife, there's, that, that year there was 47 million. Googled how many pandas, giant pandas there are in the United States of America. That year, 16. I want you to see something. They, they had missed something majestic because they were focused on something that was mundane in a sense. They were chasing the wrong thing. You see a duck anywhere. Like that literally something magnificent, something endangered, something, you know, just rare, whatever you want to say about it, but something that was very special was overlooked. Something that should have captured the imagination. What Paul is, what Paul is doing for us with this phrase, by grace through faith, he's helping to us to, if, if we're Christians, he's helping us to continue to, but if we're not, maybe for the first time, to capture or to recapture the wonder and the majesty of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To not chase after everything else. To not get distracted by things that are common or mundane or everyday, but literally to be able to wake up in the morning and go, oh my goodness, the sun came up. The mercies of God are new and I can stand in this day and say, great is thy faithfulness. That's what, by grace, through faith, accomplishes in the Christian's life. Amen? And so let's look at that phrase if we can. Let's look at that word to begin with. The first phrase is by grace through faith, which is a gift that changes everything. The word grace here is a very common word for grace in the New Testament. It is primarily a word that is used in relationship to our salvation experience, to being redeemed out of our sins and being made new in Christ Jesus. But here's what I love about the word grace. The word grace, if you were to say it in the Greek, it's charis. 
right? And I have a daughter named Karis. We named it, but uh, it's Karis. But the word, the Greek word Karis, comes from another Greek word, which often happens in languages. And the the word that Karis comes from is the Greek word Cairo, and the word Cairo means to rejoice. The first time we're we're given this word Karis in the New Testament. It is when an angel is announcing the coming Messiah. The first time Jesus is mentioned in the New Testament, the word grace is attached to him. And the word grace comes from a word that means to rejoice. There's a picture that begins to form for us here, does it not? That whenever we understand the grace of Jesus in our lives, it should always lead us to rejoice. By the way, we could say it the other way around, can't we? Worship should lead people to experience Jesus as well. When we rejoice and we celebrate who Jesus is, that in and of itself should draw people to Jesus as well because in that act of rejoicing, the name of Jesus is high and lifted up and the, and the, and the name of Jesus and the love of Jesus is a magnet. So I love the fact that we have Karis and Cairo at work here. For by grace, through faith. And Paul is trying to pack a lot into a little phrase. I mean, he really is. I've, I, just He's trying to squeeze and push. Have you ever had the, you know, you, the trash can is full, but you're going, no, I don't want to take it out right now. And you just kind of push it down and you can get some more stuff in there, right? Pa- Paul actually does that with the language that he uses by grace through faith. He's trying to put as much into a phrase with the, with, the, with the verbs that he chooses, the participles he chooses. He's trying to get as much into this phrase as he can. Now, what is he trying to get into this phrase? He wants us to understand with the language that he uses that grace, the grace of Jesus at work in our life, is a past event that is still relevant. And that's enough. He could have just said that, and that would be enough. He could have just communicated that to us, and that would be enough. And that, by the way, would preach really well. But he, he uses a couple other, he uses the type of language here that is not just a, an event that is still relevant, an event that is still relevant that endures with strength is the full picture of what he's painting here. In other words, what he's saying is Jesus saved you, Jesus sustained you, and Jesus will never weaken in his, in his sufficiency for you. Jesus made you new. Jesus keeps you new, and there's never even a chance that you'll become an old creation in Christ because every day when you wake up, the mercies of God are new. And so there's this, this full picture that is being, is being painted for us. In, in fact, one Greek scholar, and this is why you don't let scholars, like, you know, you want some practitioners to tra- help translate the Greek and the Hebrew. But if a scholar had his way, one of them worded it this way. By grace you have been saved in past time completely with the result that you are in the state of salvation which persists through the present time. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That's, that would be his translation of that phrase. Now that's not very poetic and it doesn't read very well. But it certainly gets the point across. Jesus saved us. Jesus sustains us, and Jesus is always enough. And by the way, Jesus will never weaken, but also, Jesus will never get stronger. He is all-powerful. All authority has been given to him under in heaven and earth, and he is with us even unto the end of the age, Jesus said. In other words, there is no place that your, step, your foot can step. There is no circumstance that you can go through. There is no event that can happen to you. Nothing can happen in your life divorced from Jesus being with you. 
Jesus is there in that moment when nothing makes sense. And he's there when everything makes sense. He's there on the good days and he's there on the bad days. And we never have to worry. Paul is taking the guessing game out of this. We never have to worry that his strength, his sufficiency will weaken. Because he is saying to us in the way he words by grace through faith that it is an event that happened that is still relevant and by the way it persists, it endures. Maybe we could say it this way. God's provision for your life and God's provision for my life is God's unfailing presence in my life. Jesus will never leave us. Jesus will never... According to Paul, an accurate understanding of grace is not just the event, and it's not just that it's still relevant, it's the fact that it will continue to sustain and persist, persist and endure. And I think that shapes our view of God in a very, very healthy, healthy way. One of my favorite characters to study in history is a gentleman by the name of William Wilberforce. If you don't know who Wilberforce is, Wilberforce led, uh, he was a parliamentarian in the late 1700s, early 1800s, uh, and led in England, the British Empire, uh, the, 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 the legislation that would abolish the slave trade. Then he had amassed such a, a movement that he led, to the, he led that, uh, to the emancipation of all slaves. So in 1806, 1807, England abolishes the slave trade, and then in 1833, all slaves are emancipated. By the way, that happened three days before Wilberforce himself would die. He spent his whole life dedicated to this cause, his whole adult life dedicated to this cause. And, and, and it all goes back, if you were to read his works and his writings, it all goes back to the fact that he became a follower of Jesus. It all goes back to the grace of God. And when Wilberforce, now Wilberforce was not a theologian, he was a politician. When Wilberforce was trying to unpack the grace of God and his salvation experience, he called it this, a very simple statement, but it's one of my favorite ways to describe salvation. He called it the great change. And when he would write to his sons, when he was discipling his sons and his sons were off at college, he would remind them, because Wilberforce was a fool when he was off to college, he, he, he lived that life, if you know what I'm talking about. And so Wilberforce would write to his sons and he would, he would write that he wanted to see continual evidence of the great change. In other words, I wonder if it's a fruit of the fact that you're following Jesus. And I love that phrase. If, 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 you, if you're a Christian in this room, if you followed Jesus for more than five minutes in this room, then you know that when Jesus moves into the neighborhood of your life and sets up shop, that is the great change. That when you become a new creation in Christ, you're changed from the inside out and nothing can ever take that away from you. You are made new. John Wesley would say it this way. Only the God that could create a world could create a Christian. In other words, as a Christian, something is created out of nothing. You are dead in your sins and you're lost and you're in need and so am I. And Jesus makes something out of nothing. He actually speaks it into existence, which is why John 1 refers to the word became flesh. Has the great change happened in your life? Can we ask that question of ourselves this morning? I mean, good heavens, if we're not asking that question in this place, what are we doing? Has the great change happened? Can you say by grace, the grace of Jesus through faith? Is the grace of Jesus at work in your life? And maybe another way of asking that question is, have you responded to the grace of Jesus through faith? I mean, Paul paints a pretty good picture of, of what God has done and God's responsibility and God has made salvation possible. But then he kind of adds this little thing on the end, through faith. So by grace is what God does. Through faith is our responsibility. 
By grace is what God has accomplished in the person and work of Christ. By faith is what we should accomplish. We are to choose Jesus in light of all that Jesus has accomplished. So I want to ask you again. Is there evidence in your life of a great change? And so we see this phrase, which is the gift that changes everything. And then we see another phrase, not a result of works in verse 9. It would continue on, not a result of works so that no man could boast, no one can boast. In other words, you can't brag about this thing. So not a result of works. This is a gift. This teaches us that it is a gift that could never in a million years be earned. This is a gift that could, that could never be earned. There is, in God's plan for salvation, there is no room for pride. In God's plan for salvation, there is no room for self taking any credit. And I want to remind us of something this morning. I have to remind myself of this all the time. It's pride that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. It's the only logical response to the grace of God is a humble response. The only reasonable attitude or demeanor that should characterize the Christian is a humble spirit. Which is why I think a lot of Christians need to repent and get off social media. But that's another story for another day. Because some of us out there acting like a bunch of fools. Some of us out there will just bark and tear everybody down and say anything we want and do whatever. I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if the spirit of humility does not characterize you, you have a very shallow understanding of the grace of Jesus. I know that's a little hard to say. Go, man, you're, you're, you're kind of the guest. Fill in. Don't be that hard. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you because I love you. I get arrogant sometimes. I get prideful sometimes. And I got to preach to myself the grace of Jesus sometimes. Because the grace of Jesus eradicates pride from my life. It smothers it out, if you will. When Jesus moves in, there's no room for pride. There's no room for self, if you will. You can't earn this thing. So you got nothing to boast about. The reason you can't boast about it is because it's completely God's idea, God's initiative, and something God accomplishes. So there's no room for boasting or pride. There's no room for, for an arrogant spirit. I, you couldn't offer God anything that made him go, wow, I'm better off because I have him or her. I had a, a, you know, when you were, how many parents, show of hands, how many parents or grandparents I got in the house this morning? Yeah, there's a lot of us, right? You remember when your, your kids were little hulksters and, and you'd sit them down at the table and they would draw a picture or something, right? And they'd be crayons or, or markers or paints or whatever you gave them, right? Uh, uh, remember that? And they would make a picture and what, they'd come and they'd give it to you, right? Do you remember? What, what, who, who, did you, who had kids that did that? Did you have kids that, did anybody draw you a picture? Yeah? Okay, let me ask you a question, ma'am. When, when your kid gave you a picture, where'd you put it? On the refrigerator. Because we're Americans, and that's the most prominent place in the house. I mean, I, I, my kids, I've still got little ones. They make me pictures. I love it. I, it's great. I've never looked at a picture a little child of mine made for me and went, that could hang in the Louvre. That is a magnificent work of art. No, it looks like a hobbit on drugs drew something. I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Somebody's got 12 legs and they're blue and, you know, the house is made of pizza. And, I mean, you know, 
But what did I do with it? I looked at it and I said, it's beautiful. It's, oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's a mess, but I'm telling them it's a masterpiece. It's beautiful. And then I would go and I'd put it on the refrigerator. And let's pretend for a moment that you go to sell the house, right? And somebody comes to look at your house. They're like, oh, I like the square footage. Yeah, I like the layout, number of rooms, front yard's nice. And they walk through the kitchen and they see this thing on the refrigerator. And they stop and they go, we will not purchase the house. Unless that comes with it. You laugh, because nobody would do that, right? Why? Because the picture offers no value to the house. And yet the picture got the greatest place of prominence in the house. You're nothing more, and I, let me tell you, we are nothing more than a mess. And we take our mess to Jesus, and he makes us a masterpiece. You know you, you get prom, you know, you got the greatest place of prominence you could have in, in the universe, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Because you, as a follower of Jesus, are in Christ. In other words, when the Father, when God the Father looks at us, he sees us clothed in the grace of Jesus. He sees us wrapped up in the finished work of God in Christ Jesus. He sees us not for who we should be, but for who Christ has made us. I mean, this is, this is what's happening. Okay, if that's right, then there's definitely no room for bragging. There is no room for boasting. There is no room for arrogance and pride and spite and all the rest. I was a mess and God made me a masterpiece. And here's what I want to remind you, because I have to remind myself of this all the time. Even when I was a mess, I was still the crown of God's creation. That's important in our day and age to remind us our, ourselves that, that human beings are the only thing that God created that are going to last forever. Like it's, I, I, listen, I'm all for, like, you know, I, I got a daughter who cares deeply about animals and we're going to save every animal on the planet. It's great. God bless America. It's awesome. And I think we should care about the environment. I think we should care. All those things are important. But there is a hierarchy of importance according to the Bible. Human beings have infinite value to God. Human beings are the only thing that this verse could be written about. They're the only thing stamped with the image of God. They're the only thing that are forever important to God. They're the only thing that Jesus died on the cross to redeem and to save. And so let it be said this morning, loud and clear, that yes, we were a mess, but even in our mess, God had still ascribed value to us, even though we weren't going to heaven yet, even though we hadn't repented of our sins, even though we weren't redeemed yet, because we were made in his image and we had infinite value to him, which sets up the, 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 not the need and the reason for the Messiah who would help us go from being a mess that is made in God's image to a masterpiece who looks a lot like Jesus. See what I'm saying here? Now watch this, watch this. It's the gift that could never be earned when you understand that. A deeper understanding and a greater appreciation for grace leaves less room for pride. There's one more phrase I want us to see before we land the plane on our Sunday morning worship time, and it's that we were created for good works in verse 10. This, this reveals a gift that carries out God's plan or purposes or God's wants, if you will, for God's world. Now, now let's look at this, this, this verse one more time. For we are his workmanship. Workmanship. Very next word, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Now, the word workmanship and the word created are cre both creation words. 
They're both words that talk about creating something. Obviously, the created is one, but workmanship is one too. It's the idea of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an artist who has cultivated something or, or, or somebody who has sculpted something or somebody who has carved something out of wood. It's, it's the idea of workmanship, of creating something that can be presented. And so we are his workmanship and then the word created. I think there's an idea that, that, that Paul wants us to understand here, and that is this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you are twice created. The follower of Jesus is twice created. You were created, Adam and Eve were created, and you know, they were formed, and, and right? But you and I are also created. We were formed, the Bible tells us, in our mother's wombs. God made every human being in one sense because he has stamped every human being with his image, but we are broken and we are fallen and, and we are in need of salvation. So not only are we created, but there's a need for us to be made new, a new creation, recreated in other words. There's, there's there, like, like we were created and then because of sin, we destroyed our relationship with our creator. So then our creator puts together a plan that he had formed before the foundations of the world that we would be recreated and restored through Jesus. So we were created, and when we were redeemed, we were created again. As a Christian, we understand that we live in that state. That's what the New Covenant, the New Testament, the, the, this, this deal of salvation between God and man, that's what the word covenant means. It's a sacred agreement. This sacred agreement of Christ for man, that's, that's what this is all about. It's about the second creation. And so we were created, we were recreated, and there's a one day coming in which we will be fully restored. It's kind of a third creation that's going to happen in one sense. And in that moment, when we are in heaven and we live forevermore, we are going to be made in a likeness and in a way that will never grow old, that will never fatigue. And by the way, we won't even need lights because Jesus will be the only light we need. I mean, it's just a magnificent day that only the human imagination can begin to conceive of on our best day reading the book of Revelation and other texts. And what Paul wants us to see here is that you live created and then made new. And that comes with it a sense of responsibility to do good. The phrase good works... I wish I could just go, it's, here's three categories of good works. Here's, people have tried, but the truth is, this is such a general phrase. He's talking about obedience to the faith and then living out the moral principles that we see in Scripture. It's just that simple. And it's also just that hard. So there's this idea of being obedient to the faith and then living out the moral principles that we see in Scripture, living an ethical life according to what, what, what the Bible teaches us. In other words, good works, we were created for good works. Now, by the way, good works is not our purpose. Jesus is our purpose, but good works characterizes the person who has been made new in Christ Jesus. I think we could say that another way. Step back before I do. If you can go your whole life and not be obedient and not have good works, you got to ask yourself a really big question. Did you ever have the grace of Jesus to begin with? In other words, if Jesus is a big deal, you live like it. It changes the way you act. It changes your wants. It changes how you make decisions and how you go about relationships and how you respond to situations and how you act in every situation. 
And so there is this notion, ladies and gentlemen, that you were created for good works. Like, like I, I, I love the way, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of a, a pastor who lived a long time and he's in heaven now named Warren Wearsby. And he said that we are not saved by faith plus good works, but by a faith that works. In other words, our faith is not passive. Our faith is active. And if you're passive in your faith and you're never active, you've got to ask yourself if you really have faith to begin with. I, I, I love the, the Chronicles of Nor- Narnia stories. I, I just I love, love C.S. Lewis's, most of C.S. Lewis's writings. There's a couple where I think he had a little too much to drink, but I love most of C.S. Lewis's writings. And one of my favorite things is I, I teach in, his, in the church that he was a member of every, uh, every year outside of Oxford and love going. I take students to his gravesite and we teach on the life and the leadership and the writings and his influence and the impact he had on literature and culture. And, 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 and love, to, he's just a fascinating individual in history. Um, and he wrote these, this magnificent children's books, the Chronicles of Narnia. And the first one was The Magician's Nephew. He didn't write it first, but it's the first in the series. He, he wrote them, and then some friends of his was like, man, you've got to tell the backstory of this magnificent world called Narnia that you've written about. And so he goes back and he writes the backstory or the prequel or whatever those things are called. And, he, and the first one is Magician's Nephew. And the story is how two little, a little boy and a little girl, and I'm summarizing a lot in a short amount of time, so if I have some Narnia fans in the room, just give me some grace. This is the Wikipedia version. And so, um, and so but how these, the little boy and little girl got to Narnia on the day that Narnia was created. But they didn't just, they found some magic on planet Earth. They ended up going to Narnia, but here's the skinny. They didn't just go straight to Narnia. They stopped off some other places along the way, made some bad decisions, and ended up taking evil in the form of a white witch, taking evil into Narnia on the day that it was created. Sounds a lot like the creation story, doesn't it? And while they got there, in fact, they actually watched Narnia create, they, they watched as, as this giant lion named Aslan could roar, and as he roared, he spoke or roared creation into existence. They saw all of this. A little side note, though, that's kind of important. The little boy's name was Diggory, and his mom was back on planet Earth, and she was dying. And as a little boy, I think he was 11 in the book, he, he's watching magic unfold all around him, and he's thinking to himself. And he kind of collaborates with the witch to do this. If I could take some of this magic back home to planet Earth, maybe in the form of a piece of fruit, and my mom were to eat that fruit and get that magic inside of her sick body, maybe my mom will live. The problem is that the lion knows everything. And so they get caught. And the lion literally calls him out in front of all of creation. Son of Adam, what have you done to my sweet country of Narnia on the very day of its birth? Aslan the lion roars. Diggory is now on his knees in front of the lion. Spirit of humility. And he's thinking to himself. Lewis kind of gives us a backstage pass to this 11-year-old's thoughts and how he's going, I wish this lion knew what was happening back on earth. I wish he knew my mom was dying. I wish, and he finally just blurted out, but won't you, can't you help me? And he starts to declare his burdens. Starts to, the biblical phrase would be to cast out, his, cast his burdens onto the lion. And at that point, or up until that point, he had only noticed the giant claws of the lion, the big mane, how big the lion was. 
But in his moment of despair, in his moment of desperation and need, little Diggory looked up into the eyes of the lion, and what he saw was but bright, shining tears, bigger than his own. And he thought to himself for a moment that the lion must care more about his mother than he does. If ever there was a response to a text like this, for by grace, through faith, Jesus did all of it. You have no way of boasting or bragging, neither do I. And you were saved to live a good life that fulfills the good works of God in this world. God's wants for God's world. If ever there was a response to this, it is, it is to come before God and to be humble, to cast all of our burdens onto him and to know in that moment, to realize in that moment, to awaken to the, the great, this great, magnificent, sacred idea in that moment that he cares more, that Jesus' tears are in one sense bigger, that he cares more about you than you could care about you. He cares more about your family than you could care about your family. He cares more about your pain and your suffering and your circumstances than you could ever care. Grace is what God has accomplished. Faith requires us coming out from hiding and falling down before him and casting our burdens onto him. And when you do, you don't discover a God that is angry or mad that you... You've destroyed my sweet country of Narnia on the very day of its birth. What you discover is a God who is waiting. Much like the father in the story of the prodigal son. Isn't that a beautiful story? Remember that story? You know, we got, the, we got the dad on the front porch. We like to say it's the front porch. We don't know if they actually had a porch. But we know he's waiting. And somewhere in his waiting, as months and days go by and weeks, somewhere in his waiting, and through the dust down the road, he begins to see the silhouette of his son. And in that moment, he gets up and he runs to his son he'd been waiting. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. It is a picture of the good father. When we take one step towards God, he runs to us. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. So I got one question to ask you in two parts. Question number one, part number one. Do you want this gift? Because God has prepared this gift for you. And question number two is, do you want to live this good life that does good works? Is anybody tired of living the life they're living? Does anybody want to live a life that is just... Is doing good for others by fulfilling what God wants accomplished in this world. Does anybody want to live a, a better life? Well, a better life doesn't start with moralism. It doesn't start with you trying harder. It doesn't start with you making a list and getting your time management under control. control. A good life that does good things starts with receiving the good gift that God has given us, which is his son. Have you received the gift? Do you want to receive the gift? Do you want to live this life? Because that's what it means to walk in them. It literally means to live this life. I can't think of a more amazing, incredible life to live than one that gets up and answers this question every day. What does God want? What are God's wants for God's world today? What do I need to do? What do I want to do? What do I get to do? All that. What are God's wants for God's world? What are the moral principles that are guiding me? What is, like, how do I live obedient to the faith today? What does God want to do through my story today? 
You, get, you don't get to answer that question until you answer the first question. Do you want the gift? I'm going to ask us if we would, just eyes closed all over the house. As we do that, one of the members of our worship team is going to begin to make their way out. As they do, get situated, you'll you begin to hear them kind of pad behind me very softly, very quietly. And, and here's what I'm asking us to do all across the house. If we would, just kind of go ahead and, and just where we are. You don't even have to bow your eyes, but I am asking if we could just to close our eyes for just a moment. I want to ask this question again in this moment, in this sacred moment. At this church, one of the things I really respect and love about our church is this is not just a church where you come and you listen. This is a church where you come and you get to respond. And so I, I, I want us to take just a moment right now, and I want everybody in the house, everybody in the house, and use your memory, that beautiful you know, picture gallery that is our memories. Use your memory, and, and I want you to recall, ha, have you received this gift from God? Let that stir your affections for a moment. Have you received the gift, this, the, the, the grace of God, the, 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 which is the person and the work of, of Jesus, which is the most merciful affirmation that God could ever give to humanity? Have you received this gift? I want to ask you a second question before I... I are you walking in this gift? And does it look like you doing good works, obedient to the faith and fulfilling God's wants for God's world? How many of us in the house would say this morning by show of hands, I have received this gift and I know it. What a beautiful sight on a Sunday morning. What a beautiful sight. You can put your hands down. In the house, I need to ask this question. I don't want anybody looking around, just listen to me. Even in the 8.30 service, somebody raised their hand on this next question and came down front. Is there anybody in the house that would say, Brent, I need this gift in my life? Would you just lift your hand up? I won't point you out, I swear to you. I won't embarrass you. This is not about embarrassing you. So right now, if you need this gift, whether you're in the balcony or you're on the floor, I want you right now to lift your hand up right now where you're sitting. I can tell there's about three of us in this room. Listen to me. You can put your hands down. Listen to me. Here's, here's the, I don't want to say crazy, but it's, it's the only word that comes. Here's the most amazing thing is that you can receive this gift today. I want to ask one more question. I'm not trying to belabor the point, but when you, when you preach on a text like this, I, I just have to ask this question. Is there anybody that would say, I've received this gift, but I am not walking in these good works like I should. I, I, there's something very broken in my life. If you're a brother and sister in the faith in this room and you would go, yes, I know I've received the gift, but the latter part of those verses where it says that I'm supposed to walk in these good works, that doesn't characterize my life right now. And there's something broken. Would you do me a favor? Just lift your hand up so I know how to pray. Yeah. Yeah. Would you allow somebody to pray with you, ladies and gentlemen? Would you let somebody just, the book of James teaches us that when we, when we pray with somebody and we're, we're honest about what's going on in our lives, that there's a healing that takes place. And Jesus said, my house should be a house of prayer. Would you let somebody, whether you raise your hand, you need the gift, or whether you raise your hand, you go, I'm not, I'm not walking in these good works. Would you, would, you, would, you raise, would you just let somebody pray with you, even if it's just for a moment? What's going to happen is in a moment, there's going to be, I'm going to pray, and, 
In a moment, we're going to sing, but in a moment, there's also going to be some, some leaders that are standing in the front of this room. And they're just here for one reason, to pray with you. And so right now, if you lifted your hand because you need this gift, or you just lift your hand because you're not walking in the good, good works, don't, by the way, if you're a brother and a sister and you go, well, I don't want to pray with somebody else because I don't want to be seen. I don't want somebody to know I'm not walking in my good works. Then guess what? That's not the kindness of God leading to you to repentance. That's your pride. I'm asking you to respond with a spirit of humility and to let somebody just pray with you. So all across this house, I'm going to ask us very quietly to go ahead and stand to our feet. We're going to have our leaders, a couple of our leaders, a few of our leaders stand down front. now we're on our feet I know, I know it's kind of for me I have to look when I'm not so uncoordinated I have to look when I stand up I don't know about you I'm asking us to close our eyes again now that we're on our feet and I'm going to ask right now if you raised your hand and you need some prayer nobody's singing nobody's looking let's just take a few moments to pray right now if you're in the house and you need to receive this gift or you just need to there's something broken and you're not walking in good works. Would you do me a favor right now? Would you just go ahead and very quietly slip out of your seat and let somebody come pray with you? Let somebody come pray with you. We have people down in front praying. I'm going to be really honest with you, ladies and gentlemen about 15 people that raised their hands, many of you with tears in your eyes just a few moments ago. And I rejoice with every person that's standing down here with, for prayer. But I'm going to ask those who, who lifted their hands and would be willing, no trickery, to come and let somebody pray with you. Amen. trying to make your way down here and somebody's praying you just just wait somebody another leader will come along in just a moment I say amen. My brother's going to begin to sing over us, and we're going to continue to pray down front. And by the way, leaders will continue to be down front. Anybody that needs prayer is welcome. Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this house. Thank you for how the Holy Spirit of God is, is moving, and people are seeking out prayer and help. People are receiving this gift of salvation. People are repenting of not walking uh, in this gift and pursuing good works. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to impress upon our hearts and that your kindness would continue to lead us to places of repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to The Central Church Podcast. 
For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.